Hello. Welcome back to Changing Climate, Changing Migration. This is a podcast from the Migration Policy Institute that examines the different ways in which climate change is affecting migration. My name is Julian Haddam. I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm also the editor of the Migration Information Source, which is MPI's journal. This series is part of a broader focus on climate change and migration, which includes a collection of articles. You can access those online at migrationpolicy.org slash climate. Climate change is a complicated process that can lead to a wide array of different impacts. But one of the big ones is extreme heat. As the planet gets hotter, there will be more instances of extreme heat and higher overall temperatures in a lot of different areas. Heat isn't something we tend to connect to migration necessarily. Hurricanes and flooding might have a more intuitive connection to an individual's decision to move from one place to another. But extreme heat can play a role in migration decisions too, both because the heat itself and because the way it affects other aspects of the environment. And, of course, heat can also affect migrants after they move in their destination areas. So I'm really glad to be joined today by Tord Kellstrom. Tord is a medical doctor who has decades of experiencing, researching, teaching about the connection between environment and health, particularly with regards to heat. Uh, he is, among other things, part of the team behind Climate Chip, which works on research regarding how heat and other climate issues affect public health. And he's one of the authors of a very useful report from the International Organization for Migration on extreme heat and migration. Uh, Tord, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. So, as I mentioned, we hear a lot of stories about hurricanes and floods and sea level rise and how all of these things will force people out of their current homes. Why should we talk about heat? And I guess also, what do we mean when we talk about extreme heat? What is so extreme about it? What is the difference between extreme heat and just a regular hot day? The issue of heat is, of course, fundamental because, in a sense, the modeling of future climate that is used by the scientists who are trying to uh, quantify the change in our climate in the future. The modeling basically starts with the the temperature of the planet and uh, in many parts of this uh, planet, of course, already it's very hot during parts of the year and this will make it even hotter and places that are not so hot will be also hotter. So that's a fundamental part of, um, of the climate change. The other thing is that, of course, um, uh, on this planet, there are different climates and di- different parts. And uh, people have managed to develop their communities and to live for thousands of years in certain places. And as the climate changes, <clears throat> and f- for instance, the um, deserts of uh, the hot parts of the world uh, increasing size, people have to move. So they have to migrate to another place because the climate just isn't friendly any longer for them. And the fundamental part of this is, of course, uh, how hot it is. And if uh, the human body cannot cope with uh, daily heat levels uh, above certain limits, then people just have to move to a different place. And this is already happening. And so you mentioned they're both uh, deserts and desertification uh, and also 
impacts on the human body itself. So it sounds like extreme heat is in and of itself a factor in humans' migration, uh, or it can be in some instances, um, but also it contributes to things, other environmental phenomena, such as desertification, uh, I presume also droughts, wildfires that can compel movement. Is that right? I mean, how? what are the processes and how uh, extreme heat encourages or affects an individual's decision to relocate from where they are? Well, you know, the extreme heat creates um, a new movement of um, water on the planet. So uh, when the seas, uh, the oceans get hotter, more water is uh, evaporating and going in, going, goes into the air and creates uh, larger and more powerful clouds. And that's, of course, what we've seen with the extreme rains and floods that have happened in uh, many parts of the world this year. Uh, so the, the starting point is really the increasing heat. And uh, then at the other end of that scale of, of the water access, you have the heat that dries up large parts of the agricultural land and it gets, uh, the soil gets so dry that it cannot any longer support um, farming. And of course, uh, in some parts of the world, we overcome that uh, by irrigation and including places like the um, Central Valley of California. But uh, eventually there is a limit to how much water is available for the farming. And therefore, uh, this will affect people's uh, livelihoods. And it creates, again, a need for people to move. You mentioned also fires. And of course, there is this a similar problem now in California. As we are speaking, fires are going on because uh, long-term periods of high heat that creates uh, drier soil and drier trees creates uh, much higher fire risks than uh, when you have uh, regular rains that um, uh, provide um, humidity or high humidity at the ground level and in the soil itself and among the material that's on the ground. So all of these things are actually connected and the starting point is really the heat. So we, we should um, not ignore uh, this as a key factor when we monitor the ongoing climate change and when we estimate what impacts it's going to have. And of course, um, if people end up uh, or are living in places where it gets um, so difficult to continue living that they decide to move. You know, 3,000 years ago, you could have found maybe other parts of the world which were reasonably empty of people, but now there are people living everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to be a migrant and to find a new, new place uh, to live. Yeah. Now, I, I want to get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's go where you were. Let's take a step back and put this all in perspective. Um, what is the current state of extreme heat? We talk about how things are getting hotter, uh, and it seems like heat is kind of the common denominator for climate change writ large. Um, but I, how has the planet gotten hotter? And I guess what will it likely look like in the future? And what regions in particular are we talking about uh, getting hot? Or is, is will every place on the planet get equally warm? Or is it um, specific to certain areas that are going to feel some of the, the brunt of uh, current and also future uh, extreme heat? 
Well, you have already, of course, areas that are so hot during part of the year, at least, and part of the day, that it's almost impossible to live there unless you are protected in buildings with air conditioning. And this includes large parts of the Middle East. It includes um, other uh, areas around the tropical parts of the world where during uh, the hottest season, it gets so hot that uh, you know you, re you really can't uh, spend time outdoors. And uh, one of the problems that arises, uh, which is directly related to the physiology of the human body, is that um, people can't work. Because if you do physical work in agriculture or in construction, for instance, then inside the body, a lot of heat is created by the um, uh, chemical processes that drive our muscles. So <clears throat> medically, one could uh, calculate at what level heat is getting so bad that you cannot work any longer. And in fact, this is one of the parts that uh, we have focused on in this uh, climate chip website that you referred to. There is data there for um, every part of the world on the uh, extreme heat during uh, or at any part of the year. And we have the data for every month. So it's not just that the, the, the maximum hottest part of the year that matters, of course. It's how this heat is extended during other parts of the year. And you might be surprised that in parts of Middle East, during the cooler parts of the year, it's actually relatively chilly. It's not as hot uh, all the year as it is in the hottest uh, month. Whereas other parts of the world, um, like Singapore and Bangkok and cities that, uh, that are close to the equator in the tropical area, they have uh, hot days all of the year. And it makes uh, certain jobs very difficult to carry out. And a lot of those jobs uh, in many of those places, I know, are done by migrants, which is the relevance for this discussion. Uh, let's talk about the Middle East for half a second. Um, I mean, the Middle East, the Gulf region, uh, places, temperatures can get up to more than 120 degrees Fahrenheit, right? Something like 50 degrees Celsius. Uh, and this is a, like a very huge targeted destination for lots of migrants from Asia, from Africa, uh, including, for instance, many who've been recruited for the World Cup uh, in 2022. 7, 000, several thousand migrants have reportedly died in Qatar in recent years, according to reports. Um, and so how, I guess, what are the processes there? A, a lot of these people, individuals may be in construction jobs, in manual labor, agriculture. Uh, you talked about this a little bit, but what are the physiological effects on somebody uh, who's working in this kind of extreme heat? What does that do to their body and, and how, how does that impact them? Well, you have two parts of the migration issue here uh, sort of coming up together in a sense. First mm -hmm. of all, in these hot areas of the Middle East in particular, the local uh, people, the, those who have lived for generations in the same area, uh, are not very keen to be out working in the hot uh, sun and uh, during the hot days. And that's why millions of uh, migrant workers, uh, temporary migrant workers, come 
from other countries uh, not too far away, like Pakistan, India, Nepal, Bangladesh, etc. So those people who come there to work, of course, uh, are only there because the local people are not uh, basically willing to do those hard jobs, particularly in construction. That means you have to be outdoors. So... Um, that kind of migration, which is temporary for work, is a little bit different from the migration where people are forced away from where they are living and uh, where, where their normal sort of daily life is taking place. But uh, this problem of migrant workers and the extreme heat that they are affected by also, of course, is a common issue or a big issue in California. On the farms there, the mm. migrant workers come from south of the border. Mm. And uh, in other parts of the United States, North Carolina, South Carolina, etc., there are many, many migrant workers. And here in New Zealand, where I live, we also have many migrant workers from other islands in the Pacific coming to work in the uh, agricultural work in particular. But New Zealand is not so hot, so to have serious heat problems here is extremely unlikely. But in California and in the also many of the other states in the United States, it gets very hot, as you pointed out. And then it creates real dangers for these workers, because um, unless uh, strict um, occupational safety and health uh, guidelines are uh, adhered to and enforced uh, among these workers so that they do not get exposed to the heat that actually creates serious health problems. Unless such uh, uh, guidelines are accepted and used, then people will get, or the workers will get um, uh, serious health effects. And in the one study that I was involved with looking at um, uh, migrant workers from Nepal that worked in Qatar. <clears throat> it turns out that um, hundreds of them are dying, most likely from heat effects, even though the official uh, diagnosis is heart disease. But the rates of such heart disease are much, much higher than it would be for these young workers in uh, Nepal. So there are extreme risks and they, are, they can be explained by the physiological reactions of the body to the heat that the person is exposed to while they are working. So if they are not working, it's not as dangerous. But if they are forced to work and told, you've got to keep working now even though it's hot, then uh, this creates major health risks for them. So um, I guess what is to be done about that? Uh, sometimes we talk about migration as a form of adaptation or sometimes as the result of a failure, an inability to adapt to environmental change. But how does one adapt, quote unquote, to extreme heat, especially when you're working outdoors? I mean, we can build more air conditioners, I guess, but you have to do construction work outside. You have to do agricultural work outside, right? What kind of adaptation measures are there um, for these people, for these kinds of situations? Well, the most um, uh, obvious one is to 
avoid work outside <clears throat> on construction sites during the hottest period. Mm -hmm. uh, it depends on the location. In some parts of the world, including the Middle East, it's much, much hotter during the hottest season than during the cooler season. Mm -hmm. And it's also much, much hotter in the middle of the day than during the night. So uh, if you are in the desert, uh, I suppose you, you know that it can be very cool at night, whereas it's extremely hot in the day. Yeah. So the um, variation of the heat problem during the day and during the year can be used to make sure that workers are not sent to work or forced to work during the hottest parts of the day. And this uh, has been one of the problems in the um, Middle East, uh, in Qatar, with the um, sports stadium constructions and other big projects that in the beginning, for several years, they actually didn't t take this into account to protect the workers. But um, eventually, some years uh, after this problem had been highlighted, the uh, government uh, decided to give uh, regulations for which hours of the day could be uh, mm. could the workers work and which hours should they not be working at all and that uh, regulation has now been strengthened but of course uh, before these uh, rules were applied they were as i mentioned hundreds of workers dying from the heat now, the same situation, of course, um, uh, can happen in agriculture, but there it's a little bit different because it's more difficult to schedule the work just into the cooler hours. You may, in fact, have to carry out some agriculture work during the middle of the day or, or certainly during the whole day because you're harvesting and you've got to finish the harvesting at a certain time, etc. Construction work might be easier to schedule. So that's why in California in particular, there's been a lot of activities uh, and research on how to protect these workers uh, in the, on the farms in the Central Valley. You, you mentioned uh, Qatar had a, a policy of mandating when workers can and cannot work uh, in terms of safety. Is that a com Have other countries or other localities picked that up? Is that something that's gaining traction? Um, as far as you know? Well, I'm not sure like exactly how, how this uh, works in, in uh, other countries, but of course, uh, the United States and a number of other countries have uh, uh, guidelines, at least, even if they're not uh, rules and regulations in legislation, mm -hmm. but they are guidelines for what is the maximum heat level workers can uh, should be allowed to be exposed to depending on the kind of work they do. So uh, NIOSH in the United States produced uh, a detailed report on this problem in 2016 and uh, then recommended um, protection guidelines for workers. And if you apply them, the logical result will be that uh, in certain parts of the United States, no work is carried out <coughs> of this, uh, certainly not uh, very heavy physical work, during the hottest part of the day. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I mean, one employer that has for a long time uh, applied safety guidelines like this is the uh, Defense Forces, the United States Army, mm -hmm. 
and other defense forces because they realize that um, uh, even carrying out um, uh, practice runs and sort of uh, training uh, schedules during very, very hot periods uh, can be extremely dangerous for these young soldiers. That's interesting. Um, are there any other policies or strategies that either governments or individual corporations or anyone else uh, could or should be doing, especially if we're looking at a future that's going to be increasingly hot, um, that people maybe are or are not doing that they could be exploring that we should talk about? Well, I think the most important thing is, of course, that we try to, as fast as possible, limit the ongoing uh, climate change and the ongoing increase of the heat levels in places mm. that are already hot. And uh, the more we pay attention to that and start acting on that, the better it will be for our uh, next generations uh, coming up. <clears throat> and uh, I've got a great grandchild who is just seven months old. And, uh, and mm. you can imagine he, he's going to be alive for sure in the year 2100. So all of these mm -hmm. uh, faraway effects of heat that we talk about are actually part of uh, the experiences of my own family now, yeah. and grandchildren and children will be living much longer than me. So the, mm -hmm. um, the problem of the future heat uh, protection starts with uh, carrying out what we call mitigation or reducing the climate change. Uh, trends uh, and uh, of course the biggest issue is to convert electricity production from burning oil and coal to using solar and wind energy. The sooner we start doing that on a larger scale the better. But you're also right that there are <clears throat> ways that um, people can protect themselves and I won't list them all here. We have already mentioned scheduling work for instance as one option we have also mentioned uh, air conditioning, of course, inside buildings, but uh, that's not something that can happen rapidly in the lower income countries because they just can't afford it. And in yeah. addition, air conditioning adds to the climate change uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a tricky problem. It's very difficult, but... Uh, yeah. I am sure that uh, people worrying about um, uh, the climate change impact on migration should uh, study carefully what's going to happen with the heat problems because they will be a fundamental part of what's uh, causing migration and millions of people may be seriously affected. We should probably wrap things up there. Uh, but this was super fascinating. Um, uh, yeah, Tord Kalstrom, uh, he's a consultant on climate change or climate change impact issues. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Tord. This has been a pleasure. Thank you, Julian. Thanks for listening to this episode of Changing Climate, Changing Migration. You should subscribe to the show on your podcast service of choice, and you can find all of our back catalog of episodes in our online archives at migrationpolicy.org slash podcasts. This podcast is part of a broader focus by the Migration Information Source on Climate Change and Migration, 
You can find more information online at migrationpolicy.org slash climate. You can also follow MPI on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And you should feel free to drop me a line at source at migrationpolicy.org. I'd love to hear your questions, concerns, and suggestions for future episodes. Yusuf Hamid produced this episode with support from Lisa Dixon. The song you're hearing in the background is called Touch by Patrick Patrikios. I'm Julian Haddam, and I hope to see you next time.